Welcome to Mama's Got This, a podcast on all the ups and downs of raising a family with inside tips and tricks from both your fellow moms and industry experts. Here's your host, Laura Ziobro. Welcome back to Mama's Got This. And this episode, we're going to be tackling a big topic, uh, handling a bit of the unknown. As parents, you know, we have to learn how to tackle so many big topics with our, our little ones. Um, but how do we do that when it's something we don't know the answers about ourselves? Today, I'm joined by Danae Peterson. She is a mother of three. She's been married about 10 years, which is a lot of time. Very impressive. Uh, diagnosed uh, last year with ocular uh, melanoma. And you can find her on Instagram where she shares a lot about her journey as my joy fit journey. Uh, welcome, Danae. Thank you for having me. So good to see you, Laura. Um, I feel like we talk all the time on Instagram and I'm like, okay, we get to like have a real like face-to-face conversation. (laughs) I mean, you know, across, across distance a little bit, but like, but still it feels more like a normal conversation instead of just like texting back and forth on Instagram. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So this is fun. Um, you know, you got some really tough news last year. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of what happened to you and, you know, a bit about the medical journey that you've been on and continue to be on ever since? Yeah. So, um, let me just kind of backtrack a little bit. Uh, we have had quite a few different things happen in our family over the last couple of years. Um, the first thing that happened was back in 2018 and that was when I had a miscarriage. So I'm not going to touch too heavily on that, but I did experience a miscarriage. And then shortly after that, within about a year, um, of having this miscarriage happen, my husband and I started on a mixed faith marriage journey. And there was just kind of like all of this, all of this big stress in my life. Um, then you add in COVID and quarantining and homeschooling and trying to figure out all of those kinds of things. And there was just kind of a lot going on. Um, so in January of 2020, um, I had an eye exam and it's just a normal routine thing for me. I wear contacts or at least I did. And, uh, this eye exam was no different. She dilated my eyes cause they hadn't been dilated in a, a year or two. And there was nothing there. Absolutely nothing to be, you know, nothing noticeable. Uh, I had a little bit of a vision change, but it wasn't anything drastic. Um, and it wasn't anything that could really be fixed. Like with anything other than I think that she, my do- my eye doctor mentioned adding like astigmatism to my, my contacts. So we, I tested that out. I didn't really feel like it helped very much with the kind of like slightly more blurriness that I was experiencing on my right side. And so I just kind of moved on and then, you know, 2020 went nuts and I kind of just had to be laser focused on figuring out how to handle life, like with all of the things that were happening. Uh, over the summer, we kind of got to a point where I was just like, we need to get out of the heat. Like, like, like Lara said, we live in Arizona and it's hot. And so the kids are all cooped up. We didn't have our normal summer activities. And I was just like, we gotta go. So my mom, um, is a realtor and she rented out or got a VRBO and it was this gorgeous cabin up in like Northern Arizona. And it was like, let's just go, let's just go for a week. We're going to spend time as a family up there. You guys come for as much of, as much of the time as you want to, and it'll be great. Um, and So that's what we did. And we went up there and drove, I want to say my husband and I drove together. And then he eventually went down with my brother-in-law back down, um, to like where we live in, in the Valley in, in Arizona. And, um, and I just remember we got there on a Sunday night and, and (laughs) this is, this is the crazy stuff that was happening. So in July of last year, I had been in to see my OB for birth control 
check status basically. And I was worried that like my IUD was coming out or something like that. And so she was checking and we did like an ultrasound and in that ultrasound, they discovered a mass in my pelvis <laughs> and they're like, Oh, we need to like have you go through CT and oh, we don't know what this is. We're going to have you go through an MRI. So I mean, you know, this whole month of July goes by and I'm waiting on results for this pelvic mass that we just can't seem to identify. And so we get to the cabin. I'm just trying to like, let go of all of this stress. And I wake up Monday morning and I can't see, like I put my contact in and I can't see out of my right eye. And I was like, this is super weird. And it was just one eye. And so I didn't really think too much of it. Disclaimer, if you have something happen with one eye, it's always something you should see your eye doctor for. You should never wait because one eye, like if, if it's a vision change and it's affecting your vision, uh, locally, like within your brain, like where your brain communicates to your eyes, then it's going to affect both eyes. If it's only affecting one, then there's something else going on and it needs to be investigated ASAP. Um, so I waited because we were on vacation and I was just like, I don't want to go back home. Like I'm fine. Like it's probably just the stress. Cause I was still waiting for these MRI results while I was there. So I waited, got the MRI results. I was like, cool, everything's fine. I just have a fibroid. Like we're good. And and then I got home. Uh, I want to say, you know, over the course of the next few days, the vision just didn't, it didn't improve. Um, there was no pain. I just couldn't see. And imagine if you have one side of your eye and it's just like twice as blurry. So mm -hmm. I got home and we got home late on Thursday night after I drove home myself. And, and it was super scary driving all three of my kids home with bad eyesight. And, and if you've ever experienced poor eyesight, like night vision is even worse. So I didn't really know that going into it. So it's kind of like a miracle in and of itself that we made it home, but we're good. We're here. And so I got home and the next morning I made an appointment with my eye doctor who thankfully was able to get me in that Friday afternoon. So I go in and she starts doing some checks and she's like, huh, like it really like looks like you've got some blood in your eye. Like I think you have a retina detachment. I'm going to send you to a retina specialist because we need to get this taken care of right away. Now, what I didn't know at the time is that a retina detachment is something that has to be taken care of. Ideally for it to like save the vision of your eye, it has to be, it has to be taken care of within like 24 to 48 hours of the detachment mm. happening. So it's really, really critical to like be into an eye doctor as soon as possible. And a lot of times retina detachments cause permanent damage because they don't get noticed for so long, especially like in there's like, I've just heard from friends who have kids who've had retina detachments that almost weren't caught and it can cause permanent blindness. There's all kinds of crazy things that can happen. So I didn't know this. She did. And so she refers me to a retina specialist and I go and I'm sitting in the office, you know, it's like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. Right. And I go in and he has me go through all of these tests. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, okay, like I got good news about the fibroid. Like my eyes going to be fine. Like I, she kind of just made it sound like it would be no big deal. I would just go to the, go to the specialist. He would do a little quick laser surgery to fix it. I wouldn't even have to be put under. Like, I mean, it literally would just be super fast. And so I'm just like, all right, I can handle this. Like I can totally handle this. And so he comes in after, I mean, it was, it was a good hour to two hours of testing and he comes in and he says, so why do you think you're here? And I'm like, well, cause I have a retina detachment and she thinks that you need to fix it. And he said, well, unfortunately that's not what it is. And I just, I just remember like feeling like kind of like, I mean, it was, it was kind of like everything just stopped and it just went in slow motion. And like one of the first things that I kind of settled on as far as like my thoughts was just like, I'm by myself, like because of this, like 
sorry for anyone. Like I, I, I'm trying to be sensitive to other people because I know there's, there's people who've been really heavily affected by the virus and I totally respect that. But there's also people who've been really, really heavily affected by all of the limitations and the, the restraints and the, the medical restrictions that have been placed on care support persons who can be with you in a room when you receive a diagnosis like that. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, you know, it's not a retina detachment. This is a tumor. And he showed me the pictures. They did uh, an ultrasound on your, they do like ultrasounds on your eye, which is a very bizarre experience. Like 10 out of 10 would not recommend. It doesn't hurt. It's just like cold and slimy and weird feeling. But he showed me within like the ultrasound pictures that this, this kind of blockage that was causing me to not be able to see it. Cause I had, I had no peripheral vision like at all on this top part of my eye and on the, the side of my eye over here. And then on top of that, it was about twice, maybe three or four times as blurry, um, as this eye, cause both my eyes are already blurry. And so this one was just like quadruple, like really bad. And so he showed me like what it was and it was essentially like by his measurements, which he's like, my, my instruments aren't as exact, but it's like half the volume of your eyeball. Like this is like, this is not a small tumor. Like this is big. And so he's like, this is something that I suspect is something called ocular melanoma. And it's something that we have to, you know, you have to have this treated right away. And I'm like, okay. Um, like, and I, I just, at the time I was, I was really emotional, but I also felt like I didn't really have much time to like process being emotional at that moment. I didn't really fully understand what it meant. Uh, I just was given like a, a potential like tumor in my eye diagnosis. And it was like, it's not totally confirmed, but it presents as ocular melanoma. We need to send you to an oncologist to have this confirmed. So fast forward through the whirlwind of the weekend and all the crazy. And, and you can just kind of like, just from what I shared earlier, you can just see that like, I've already gone through a month of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I've already gone through really two years of uncertainty of not knowing what was going to happen with my miscarriage, not knowing if I was going to miscarry again when I got pregnant with Melody, not knowing how things were going to work out in my marriage when my husband told me that he didn't believe in the religion that we grew up in and not knowing how things were going to work when COVID hit and then not knowing you know, what was going to happen. Like I've had a lot of practice not knowing what was going to happen. And so this was just kind of like, okay, one more thing. And I really had to step into this place of like, okay, <laughs> I've already handled all of this. And now I just get to, now I just get to do it again in a different way. And so that was kind of like the only thing that kept me through. Um, I did reach out with family and friends, um, who I'm close to. And then I reached out to my social media support network and just let them know what was going on. And then we just had to wait. Um, there wasn't really anything else to do other than just wait to figure out what else was going to happen. And in the next appointment, um, the next few appointments, basically I met with a couple different doctors. They're called ocular oncologists. And they explained that for something called ocular melanoma, the tumor can't be treated by removing it from your eye because of where it's, um, because of where it's, it's located in the eyeball. So if you think of the eyeball as like an onion and it's hollow on the inside, it's got these layers on the outer, the outer edges. And the very inner layer that's like the inside of the eyeball is the retina and there's the optic nerve and all of these things connect to the retina. And then below the retina, you've got the choroidal layer. Um, there might be another layer in there somewhere, but the choroidal layer is where my tumor originates from. It's called a uveal melanoma choroidal tumor or something like that. And so it basically is kind of like if you have carpet and something is under the carpet, 
and it just kind of protrudes under the carpet and it pushes it up. And eventually, if you have, say, a tree branch growing under your carpet, then the tree branch will break through. It will be big enough that it will break the tension of the carpet that's been, you know, stapled down to your floor and it will break through the carpet and then you have the tree branch in the living room, or in my case, the tumor in your eye. <laughs> and so that's kind of what they suspect happened with mine is that it was below the surface of the retina until it got big enough that it broke the surface. Uh, okay. So they gave me my treatment options and the treatment options were uh, basically directed radiation to the eyeball. So they, they have, I think over the last 15 to 20 years, developed something called plaque therapy or brachial therapy. And this is where they... <laughs> they take a piece of metal, like a, a gold piece of, a piece of gold, and they shape it directly to um, the size of your eyeball. And then they place radioactive seeds and they leave it on your eye for a certain amount of time, depending on the size of your tumor. And it then can treat the tumor with radiation directly like to that spot. It's very localized. Um, it doesn't present as much of a risk as say, um, like if you have a brain tumor that you're getting radiation for or a breast tumor that you're getting radiation for, like it's, it's kind of like full body radiation in that case. And the plaque is only localized to the eyeball and kind of the area around your face. Uh, so if you think of a flattened penny from an amusement park, think about that, flatten that penny and make it curve around your eyeball and then put it around my eye. That's about how big my plaque was. So it was really big. Um, uh, it was very gruesome, gruesome, gross, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but that was kind of what I was told needed to happen is I needed to have this plaque therapy and then that there, there wasn't a lot of time. It was either plaque therapy, proton beam therapy, which I didn't end up choosing. And, uh, then there's something called enucleation, which is when they would actually just physically take the eyeball itself surgically. And that felt like too much to me. Uh, I didn't really feel like, like I had a lot of hope that like maybe my eyesight could come back. And, uh, my, my oncologist said, you know, like this is the least invasive that we can go as far as doing the plaque therapy. So that's what we did. Um, so fast forward through basically like a month of just, I mean, it was nonstop, like nonstop doctor calls, nonstop video appointments with doctors, nonstop, um, scans because I had to get updated scans. And in the middle of all of that, like they're also telling me, Oh, by the way, your, your liver is your highest risk organ. If this spreads. And I'm like, what do you mean if this spreads? And so they're just, there's just lots of information coming at me. And I, I kind of felt like at the time, like I was kind of forced to become this like encyclopedia of information to learn like what was going to happen, um, and what I needed to, you know, be aware of. But at the same time, there's still so much that despite trying to absorb all of this, like there's still so much I didn't know and still so much that I wasn't prepared for. And that's just kind of part of the game. Like, I don't think you can, you can never be fully prepared for something like this, uh, but I did undergo the seven day plaque therapy. Um, and because of that plaque therapy, like I had to stop breastfeeding because I couldn't be around my baby, uh, babies and radiation, no go. Um, you don't want to be around babies when you have radiation happening on your body. And especially when you have radioactive material. So I had a lead eye patch and I wasn't supposed to spend a lot of time with people in person. So I felt very isolated. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't even open my left eye because I think it was just so traumatized that my, my brain was like, we can't open either eye. We're done. Um, so I had a, a pretty low key. I mean, it wasn't low key. It was, it was honestly, it was probably like hell week or like the thing that I I'm like big into Harry Potter. And so like, I kind of equate it to like 
the times when Harry and Ron and Hermione are carrying the Horcrux around their neck, the lock, the locket in the seventh book. Um, well, how they all feel like horrible. Yeah. It was kind of like that. Like I felt horrible. Um, I had really bad response to the anesthesia and that was rough. And I had just some extra things happen in there digestively that were not fun throughout this whole week. Ended up in the emergency room during the plaque. And like, I mean, it was just nuts. And, um, then I finally got to the end of the week and I just had been trying to listen to, listen to audiobooks and, you know, open, crack my eye open. Like when I could, I had to put in eye drops. Like there was just all of this stuff happening, but it was kind of like, you know, you show up to it because you have to, like there, there wasn't really, I think there's a, there's a quote that's like, when strong is your only option, like you do, you do it. Like this is, this is just, it's just kind of what you have to do. People ask me like, well, I don't know how you do it. It's like, well, you don't, you just don't have time to think about it. Like you just have to show up that way to, to what's happening. Um, and you have to function on some level because like you have to do the normal life. And, um, so my plaque was taken out and then I just had the recovery period, which I'm technically still in. I'm only seven, seven months, maybe eight months out from the plaque mm -hmm. therapy. Um, and unfortunately as, as a result of this therapy, um, combined with the damage to my retina that had already happened, there's something called retinopathy and, and I, I don't have any eyesight in this, this eye over here. Um, and you can kind of see, like, I feel like the glasses are reflective, but you can kind of see like that one eye is a little bit more closed than the other. It just kind of like doesn't have as much to work with as far as the eyeball goes. So there's just, there's a lot of things that I have to deal with now. And thankfully right now my eye can open mostly. I can get my lash extensions again. <laughs> and, um, and even though like I can't see out of this eye, like I'm still, I'm still here and um, let's see what was the, the only other kind of big dropping curveball that this has thrown me is that with this cancer, you can have a biopsy done of your tumor before it's treated with the radiation. And so my biopsy came back. Um, and it's basically that I have the highest risk of metastasis. So it's just like, while we're here, like, let's just drop this bomb. Like, okay, cool. Like, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so I have this, like all these statistics basically that are telling me you have the highest risk of metastasis, meaning that within two to five years, this cancer basically sh had time to shed cells into my bloodstream that can then metastasize in my liver or my lungs. And there's nothing I can do about it. Like there's literally nothing I can do to identify if it's there. They don't know if it's not there. They don't know if it is there. There's just a higher probability that it could be there. And so I don't really have much to do preventatively. Um, I am on a clinical trial, which is essentially experimenting to try and figure out if there's something that we can do to stop the cancer from spreading before it's really had a chance to grow. Uh, and as far as research goes, the more that I kind of dive into the ocular melanoma community, the more that I know, or I guess just learn that there's a lot of research happening. There's a lot of things that they're doing to try to find treatments. And that is reassuring. That's, you know, that's hopeful to me um, because I'm still with any luck, you know, a good two to five years before I even have to really deal with any of that. And the hope is that the clinical trial can reduce that risk factor even more. So for now, like we're just, we're just doing live. <laughs> I've got a seven, a seven, a five and an 18 month old. And it's just, it's just a little, I mean, honestly, the hardest thing is 
that I literally am blind on my right side. And they have to remember that because sometimes they'll be over here and they'll startle me or they will, um, like just not know that they can't like be seen over here and they'll be like waving silently. And I'm like, guys, I got nothing. Like you got to communicate in other ways. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, oh, so yeah. much That's to handle. Kind of... I want to let you explain it all. Oh, my gosh. Like I just, it's like, I, I have two, so I can't even imagine having three. So, and then dealing with all of this <laughs> on top of just what having three kids means. Right. So like trying to, be the mom that they want and in need and trying to process all of these other things that are being thrown your way when you don't know the answer. And to your point, like when you're all of a sudden trying to become this expert on something you know nothing about, um, you know, I think yeah, we've had a little sure. experience with different like diagnoses and, and you kind of feel like even though you're not the expert, you have to know enough to know when to question things and, you know, to, to process what's being thrown your way. So it's just a lot. And I, to be dealing with something that's so unknown, um, you know, and so big is, is so hard. And, you know, when it comes to your kids, like, how do you explain this to them? I know you don't give them the full, the full story, but like, how do you approach? And like so, you said, you, you have a, you have such a range of ages. So like, do you explain yeah. it the same? I mean, obviously the 18 month old is, is a little bit of a different scenario. Like you can't really have yeah, the same kind of conversation, but like seven to five is a little bit of a difference. So like, do they get the same explanation or like, how do you even like approach something so big with, with kids so young? So, I mean, for me, I guess kind of what I've found with talking with them about, you know, everything from just pregnancy and how pregnancy happens when they've asked that question or, um, just like what different things mean is to just tell them the truth. And like you said, like, I don't have to go into all the specifics and explain every single little thing, but the kind of the, the main points like that I really just, I really just touch on is that, you know, one, the tumor has been taken care of and like that it's been treated. Number two, it can't come out unless my eyeball comes out. And if that happened, I would have to have another surgery. Um, and that like number three, that like, that I, that I have to have, um, the scans, like I have scans every three months to check and monitor for cancer in other areas of my body. And so basically I just, I guess I try and like, just explain to them that like, you know, I have to go and have this doctor's appointment. That's going to check and make sure that the, the eye cancer that I have in my eyeball didn't go somewhere else. Um, and Every now and then I feel like maybe a, a frustrating side of that is that like they kind of seem to have this, this idea that like, well, it's just going to get better, you know, like an owie mm -hmm. on their knee. Like it'll just go away one day. Like it won't be a problem one day and that's not quite the way it works. And so I just have to, I just have to kind of remind myself to be patient with them that they're going to keep having questions and that their kind of concept of reality of like what they think should happen is going to kind of stay with the concrete stuff, like they can't quite grasp the abstract. And so I just kind of have to keep reminding them like, okay, like, no, like, cause I think they, they will ask me things like, well, when is the tumor going to go away? Or like, when is your eye going to get better? And, um, and, and I can't really like give them an answer. Like it'll just be better one day. It's kind of like, well, mommy's eye can't see anymore. And right now it's as better as it can be. Um, I think back when it was like, cause it, it kind of like, it used to just be like this, like it was, mm -hmm. it was very puffy and, and really like inflamed and I couldn't really open this eye very much. And if I could, it wasn't for very long, it would get tired. Um, uh, 
I used to wear eye patches. And so they'd ask me like, well, why are you wearing an eye patch? And And there was just kind of lots of different things that they kind of had to adjust to. And I can see like with my oldest, um, he's seven and I can definitely see that he's, he's got maybe more worry about different things, maybe not necessarily directly related to this, but I think, I think maybe he, I can, I can see at least like an underlying anxiety in him and just kind of maybe more acting out in school sometimes like, and so I'm just, I try to be patient like with that and understanding. And I also try and remind his teachers like, he's got a lot that's been happening in the last six months. Like, and you know, if he's having a hard time, like I need you to, I need you to like work with him and understand that like, this is not necessarily just a behavioral thing. Like this is a lot of underlying emotions that he doesn't know how to express. Um, and I think (laughs) like with both of them, I think I have to address questions with, with my son, who's a little older more just because he's, he's just at that age of kind of more inquisitive. Um, and then with my daughter who is five Tatum, she maybe doesn't think about it as much, but every now and then she will like kind of jut in and like, like just make observations like mommy, your eyes more open today or like just kind of random out of the blue observations. And so like, I can tell that they think about it. It just maybe isn't always on the front of their brain, um, which I'm grateful for because I don't feel like they need to be, you know, burdened with that. Um, and thankfully, like it's kind of a, in some ways it's kind of a silent cancer in, in a lot of ways. Like that's really hard, um, because the uncertainty is difficult, but at the same time, like there's so many people who go through cancer treatments and I mean, they, they go through some really hard health challenges as are related to, uh, to having chemotherapy, to having radiation. And while I'm on a clinical trial where I'm taking chemotherapy every day, I haven't had any drastic heavy side effects from that. Um, whereas, you know, I've got friends in the cancer world who have lost their hair and who have had just kind of more drastic changes happen in their life and their family's life. And that have been, maybe made more of an impact, I think in some ways, like just outwardly. And so I'm grateful, you know, that the, the hardest challenges that I deal with, you know, are the uncertainty of the unknown and the, um, just, I mean, just the adjusting to being blind on one side of my face, like that's kind of the, the dumb it down, like very bare minimum stuff that I have to deal with. Um, and like, it is hard. Like, I'm not going to tell you that it's not hard, but at the same time, like I would so much rather have this version of hard than something else. Mm-hmm. No, but it makes sense that for them, it's like they know that the, something big is happening, but they're not seeing all these other things. So that makes sense that they would continue to have those questions. And that's so great that you've been able to be so open with them in, in a version of what's going on and to, to give them that sort of added yeah. comfort of, of being able to just kind of ask whatever questions come up. And I think so much kids, I think, will ask the same questions because they're like, well, is this really the answer or is this the answer yesterday? You know, so I think that, you know, them, them feeling comfortable coming in for that, I'm sure really helps them as they're trying to kind of make their way through this as well with you. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I guess like right now I have, I don't have as heavy of a desire to have them in therapy right now, but like therapy Mm -hmm. is definitely something that I like, (laughs) I will be, hopefully able to, you know, just by, just by sheer example of like doing therapy myself, uh, just teach them that like, it's okay to need to talk about this and to talk about your feelings, to process what's going on. Uh, and I mean, 
we're not, my husband and I, we're not perfect, like, but we do really just try to make that effort, um, to just help them, like, know that, like, we're, we're a safe place for them to come to, uh, and, and if I do notice, like, you know, big emotional outbursts and things like that, like, I just try and remember that, like, you know, I have those big emotional outbursts too, and, He's just, you know, he or my daughter, like they're just having, and even my 18 month old, like they all just, we all have big emotions and it's totally normal for us to need to process them. I think kids probably get through them a little bit faster than adults do because they don't get the chance to resist them as much. Their brains don't really let them. They just process the emotion and adults, we sit there and think about it and we think, well, I shouldn't be feeling anxious and I shouldn't be feeling worried and I shouldn't be feeling mad. And then because we think we shouldn't be feeling something, then it's worse. And it like just creates this cycle instead of just processing the whole emotion. So I feel like that is definitely something that kids have in their favor. (laughs) No, that's, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, what have you found throughout this process for you that has been the most helpful kind of making time for, you know, like what has been the thing that, that has helped you the most kind of to find your comfort through this as you've been trying to maneuver all these different pieces? So I think for me, like I have done over the last six and a half years, I've really worked hard to not only, I mean, I know like we connected via social media kind of partly because of my, you know, my fitness journey and things like that, which I do share on social media, but, um, but my fitness journey kind of really evolved to be a lot more of like an emotional and a mental and a spiritual journey. And And that's just like a constantly growing thing, but I've spent so long just learning different things about myself and developing and growing as a person through different trainings, through different books, listening to different podcasts. Um, I really like the life coach school podcast. I feel like that was when a lot of things started to kind of shift from, for me and my mindset. Um, and I was able to start looking, looking at things differently. Um, but I think that just recognizing that like right now, like in this very moment, the worst thing that can happen to me is a negative emotion. Like it's just feeling and experiencing a negative emotion, like sitting in this chair. I mean, yes, maybe like very far fetched, a bomb could hit my family, you know, hit my house. Like something crazy could happen to my house. And then we could all like, we could all die. Like something crazy could happen, but like, that's not really very realistic. Like the worst thing that I can experience right now, thinking about all of this stuff, thinking about all of the unknown, um, worrying and stressing about, you know, if I'm going to be here, you know, when my kids are graduating from college or high school or like, heck, if they, if they even make it out of elementary school, like, I don't even know. (laughs) Um, but the worst that I can experience is a negative emotion. And not that I need to invalidate that. Like, I mean, I'm sitting here kind of crying a little bit, like it's okay to feel those negative emotions, but just recognizing, I think that like, that's just a feeling. It's a, it's a feeling in my body, a welling of emotion that happens. And that like, I can physically handle that. Like, and I can emotionally and mentally handle feeling that emotion. And I can know that like on the other side of it, I'm going to be okay. And really in the middle of it, I'm going to be okay. And so like, I think just doing a lot of thought work, um, through the life coach school. And then I also did, um, I've done therapy and I'm currently in therapy to start like EMDR therapy to work on trauma. Um, but I've done talk therapy and I've done a lot of work with a life coach. His name is Brad Bizjack, And he has taught me a lot about just appreciating the present and like getting present with my life. And it's just kind of one of those things that like, I think if you want to, to have that, you want to experience that, you have to really be willing to work for it and to show up to 
that, um, to life with that kind of a mentality that like above all else, like you're going to cherish being present more than anything else. And so it really has been just like over the course of the last two years of going through all of these kind of crazy, you know, one thing after another, um, it's really been a gift to have the support of this life coaching community and, um, this, this mindset coach and just all of these strategies that I've just kind of built on each other to learn like essentially that like I can handle what is put in front of me and to remind myself, um, I think that's maybe the, maybe the second main or maybe a main thing that I do is that when I am feeling, you know, frustrated or feeling like I'm confronted with something new that I'm like having to tackle, um, new information or just a new, you know, not even a new thing, but just like with scans, like scans come up every three months. And so like just coming up on the, the reminder of like, okay, you have to go and like have a scan done. And then you have to wait for the doctor. And just to remind myself as I'm feeling the anxiety of that, and feeling the worry of like, what if they find something to remind myself that like, I've gone through this before and I've handled all of the anxiety that I felt each and every time, every single time before, like I've handled this before I can figure it out now. And if something happens, I can figure it out too. Like, and just kind of really reassuring myself of that, like internally reassuring myself of that and not relying on that to come from like an outward source, uh, has been really, really helpful for me. Um, and I mean, it just takes practice. Like it literally has taken me probably a good two years of really practicing. And I still catch myself sometimes in just like a negative rut of just like kind of panic mode. Like right now I've got sick kids and I'm just like, we're getting ready to go on a vacation. And I'm like, my kids have to be better before I go on vacation. And in the back of my brain, I'm going, okay, but like, but what if they aren't, could you handle that? And it's like, okay, well it would suck. (laughs) We've planned this vacation for a pretty long time, but like, could I handle it? Yes, I could handle it. Um, and just really reassuring myself, I think internally that like, I really can handle whatever's put in front of me. And because I've done it so many other times before I have proof, I have life proof that I've done it mm-hmm. many times before. No, that, that, that makes so much sense. And it's, it is, it's so hard, but I mean, that's some great advice. Like it's, I think we always think there needs to be some like magic answer or a big thing that you should do, but that's just really like pausing to find it from within. And I think that's, um, really powerful that that's been so, so helpful for you and it makes so much sense. So that's, that's, that's great to share. Is there anything else, I guess, as a part of this journey? I mean, I think you learn so many things along the way specific to like, once you have the diagnosis and all, you know, everything else is, is there anything like looking back that you wish that someone had told you like sooner that might've changed this journey for you a little bit or, or is this mind, you know, the mindset shift that you talked about is some of that, the, the thing that has been the helpful, most helpful for you? I really, I mean, honestly, like I, I think maybe it would have, <laughs> this is going to sound silly. Um, I think my, my week of treatment was harder because I went into it expecting it to be harder. Like I, I went into it with, uh, my doctor basically telling me this is going to be the hardest, like one of the hardest, most painful things you've ever experienced. Um, I kind of went into it with the expectation that it was going to be really painful and that it was going to be really hard. And I think because I went into it with that expectation, it was, uh, I'm not saying that like there weren't kind of other factors that contributed to that, but overall, like, I think that I kind of like, I I think she had, she had explained that there was going to be a part of like the surgery that was going to happen that she would need to 
essentially like snip a muscle within the eye um, or like that attaches the eyeball and that that snipping of that muscle would have to be reattached after the plaque was taken out and that it would make it harder to recover. Like there were just kind of some other things. And so thankfully, like she did, <laughs> she did re re-explain that like she didn't end up having to cut that muscle and and I think because I was able to switch that, you know, pretty quick within after the week of, you know, I had the, the plaque for seven days and then she took it out and then she's like, oh no, I didn't, I didn't ever have to cut the muscle. And I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me that on day one when I woke up from anesthesia? Like, so, I mean, yeah. if you're going through something as far as medically goes and your doctor has told you to anticipate something, double check with them and just ask them what actually happened in surgery. What do I need to be prepared for? Because you don't want to go into recovery expecting that you're going to be worse off and that it's going to be harder for you because your brain is seriously so powerful and it can make, it can, it can cause your experience to be more difficult than it needs to be. If you don't go into it with all the facts. Um, I would say that another thing, you know, just kind of, I, I'm trying to like pinpoint exact things that have been the most helpful, but, um, I guess if I could say maybe my top three things that have been the most helpful, um, and that I wish, I don't, I don't want to say that I wish someone had told me because I feel like I already knew these things. I just have had to remind myself of them is, but it just is that like, okay, number one, you're going to have lots of emotions. Those emotions are normal. It doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you're sliding back in your mindset. It doesn't mean that you're worse off as a human being. It just means you're a normal human being who has emotions and who feels fear, which is, I mean, that's a normal thing. Like all of us feel fear. If we didn't feel fear, we wouldn't be alive. Like it's just a fact. And so feeling your emotions is going to happen. And it actually is a lot better to go through the process of feeling your feelings in some way, shape or form, whether it's crying or yelling or screaming or hitting something, whatever it takes for you to process the emotion, uh, look up the book burnout by the Nagoski sisters. They have an awesome book called burnout and they talk about different ways to process emotion that have been like studied by research and to complete, they call it completing the stress cycle. And, um, when your body is feeling an emotion, it's in stress. So I would say like, feel those emotions fully, learn how to do it and keep practicing. I mean, it's like, it, I feel like people tell me, people tell me all the time, like when I say, well, try meditating, you know, like, and I'm like, well, I'm not perfect at meditating. I don't know how to meditate, but I still do it because it's a practice and practice means you just keep doing it because you're gradually getting a little bit better. Like the goal is not to meditate and have it be this like end all. Okay. I've meditated. I've arrived. Like, well, the same thing with processing your emotion. There is no end all. You've arrived at the place where you always know what to do to process your emotion. Like it is a constant process. It's just about becoming aware and being, you know, open in communication with your family members, things like that. And I feel like having that, um, that would be number two is just having that trusted space of people that you can fall back on and that you can rely on, whether it's family, friends, uh, I do feel like for me that social media has been a place to connect with a lot of really amazing people. And so I am an, I am an advocate of a positive place on social media, um, and creating that space for yourself, but, uh, just being, ha you know, having that tribe and those people to fall back on to, to just tell them when you're having a bad day and to just be able to be yourself and not feel like you have to put on a face. Um, if you end up following me on social media, I hope you don't feel like I'm ever fake. Like I just tell you what's happening. I just tell you all the crazy crap that's happening in my life. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's a little nutty. Um, and then number, th number three, I think would yeah. be, um, 
Number three, I think would just be to like focus, you know, focus on being present. Try not to let the stress of the unknown get to you because uncertainty has always existed. Like maybe you're a little more aware of it right now when you're dealing with something a little more, I call it a concrete unknown, (laughs) something you know exists instead of just like abstract worries and what ifs. Like this is like, this is a, this is a concrete thing. I have a tumor in my eye. Like it's, it's physically there. It's been proven. It's there. It's a fact, but I don't have to go down storyland and go down chasing all of these what ifs of, you know, the worst case scenarios. Like that doesn't, that doesn't help me in my life. That doesn't help me be present. Um, and so I find that trying to be, you know, trying to be focused on making memories and being grateful for just today and for what's happening today and really getting into gratitude, um, is helpful for me. And then on the kind of partially related to that, or just very related to that would be to, um, Oh my gosh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. To focus on the facts, not not the fiction. Because a lot of times when we have these like worries that are just like spiraling, I, I'm one of those people, like no joke, I go from in my brain, some you know, something happens and my brain goes from what if zero to what if five thousand in like two seconds. Like it's like, I've, you know, (laughs) I get, I get one note of, well, you have this going on. And my brain goes from really kind of just like, well, cool. I got this information to like, everybody's died in like five seconds. It's really fast and it's really abrupt. And I, I'm aware of that. Um, and I know that my brain will do that. I know that that's just kind of how I have been wired to respond. That's how my body and my brain respond with anxiety. But I also know that I'm not a slave to that. I don't have to stay stuck in those feelings. Um, I can look at that and I can remind my, you know, remind my brain like, okay, we're feeling, we're feeling a little scared here. That's okay. But we're also not powerless. Um, and I think that Mm -hmm. that, um, that really is probably one of the biggest things that I've learned, like just over the last five to six years is just that I am not, I am not powerless to figure this out. Um, There's a quote from Harry Potter that I have in my office and it says, happiness can be found in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. Um, And I think that we all have a chance to turn on the light and it doesn't matter how dark or difficult things are in your life. Like you don't have control over exactly what happens to you, but you can control what you can. And that's going to be your response, your reaction to, you know, what's happening around you and maybe what's happening to you. Um, you can control that. You can turn on the light in those areas, even if you can't change the circumstances. No, that's, that's so true. That's so true. And I think that's, that's very powerful finding your power. Like the idea of that is, is so powerful and, and, and changing that mindset. That's, I can see that that's made a really big impact for you. Um, and so hopefully this is, it does when I like stay focused on it because sometimes I lose focus of it. So like, you know, just remember normal human lose focus. It's okay. Oh yes. To your point, we're all human. So we're not always our perfect version of ourselves. Right. So that's totally, totally well, and if we were like, we wouldn't be human. (laughs) Fair, very fair. Uh, well, I really appreciate you taking time to go through this. I think it's, 
so helpful to hear. Um, and I definitely, I think I mentioned this earlier, like I, I definitely admire how open you've been about your journey about, you know, I know, I remember when you first shared about your diagnosis and it wasn't like a, you know, it happened a few months ago kind of thing. You were sharing very much in real time. And I know how, um, how much that can take out of you. And I know there's so many uncertainties that you've been maneuvering through and you've always done it in such a very open way, which I think is very admirable and I'm sure has impacted as well um, how you've approached it with your children. So definitely appreciate you talking about your experience. Yeah, and I I think, I mean, I think maybe some people would think I was too open, um, but for me at the time, it was what I needed and it was helpful to process it you know, cause I, at that time I didn't have time when I was diagnosed and I was going through scan after scan and doctor's appointments and trying to figure out what was going to happen and just trying to be present with my family and like, make sure that they were not feeling, you know, make sure that I was mitigating as much of that, like anxiety as I could from my kids. Um, that was a time that like, I couldn't sit there and be in therapy. I think I managed to have one call with my life coach at the time when I was working with him and we just had to like really just hash it out and just focus on those reminders that like I talked about through this whole last episode, like just focus on those reminders of like, okay, but like, we're going to focus on the facts. We're going to take it one day at a time. We're going to stay present. We're going to make memories like, and we're just gonna, we're going to stay focused on what is actually in front of us and not all of the what ifs. Um, and at the time I like, I didn't have time for therapy. I didn't have time for processing you know, in other ways, I couldn't really sit down and journal very well. And so writing a post on social media really was kind of my journal. It was kind of my, my way to process things. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to apologize for that ever, regardless of what maybe some people might think, um, because it helped me at the time. It did, it did what I needed it to do. And it did help me connect with other people, which I think that that is one of the, the things and the power of vulnerability. Brene Brown talks about that all the time. Is it like, you know, I mean, honestly, like unless you're in the arena with someone, like you don't get to have a say in how they do something or how they, how they approach something. Um, and so really it's not the critic that counts, um, is what she says, but because I have had, I have had those critics. Um, and that's just, it's just something that happens sometimes. Um, but I do feel like it was what I needed and I can, I can feel confident in looking back and, and knowing that like that was what I needed at the time and not regretting that. Um, but I do like, I do feel like it was, yeah, like you said, it was real time. And in some ways, yes, it was draining, but in other ways it was also, it was also kind of like alleviating some of the, some of the weight, I think, because I was using it as a journal. And so it was like, I could write it down and I could let it go. And, um, uh, mm-hmm. and then yes, it was going to keep coming up. Like those, those feelings didn't just go away because I wrote one post about it. Like, I had to keep addressing new things. And as they came up, like new stuff, like all the things. Uh, but that was, that was kind of one of those things where I felt like writing a post on social media and just sharing openly and just trying to find the meaning in all of this and share that was something that I could control. Like I couldn't control what, what was going to happen with, you know, a few different things, but I could control how I was responding. And I felt like responding in, in the way that, um, that I did, you know, through reaching out through social media, through just sharing openly through doing all of the different things that I did. That was what, um, what I could control. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, tell everyone how they can follow you. So we talked about your, my joy fit journey on Instagram. Um, maybe tell a little bit, I know 
you do a lot of other content on there as well, talking about fitness. Um, so it's not all just, you know, related to this part of your journey. I know you talked about your family, so there's a lot of great content on there. And I know you have a new podcast, so talk a little bit about um, other things that folks can check out um, that you have in the works. Yeah. So as far as eye cancer stuff, um, if you are someone who knows someone with ocular melanoma or you have it yourself, maybe you stumbled across this podcast episode. Uh, I actually am the social media manager of the Instagram for a cure in sight and it's on Instagram. So I run their Instagram and I create video content and I have been doing like video interviews and things with other patients who have been diagnosed. Um, so that's one way that you can connect with me there. And then of course my personal Instagram, you said my joy fit journey. Um, and you can also just search me by name, Danae Peterson. It's D A N E T because nobody knows how to like say my name is D A N E T, but my joy fit journey on Instagram. And if you search on your podcasts, um, you can find my podcast that is called the resilient joy podcast. And I just launched this actually, thanks to a lot of help, <laughs> a lot of help and messages back and forth from Lara, who was awesome in giving me mic recommendations and just like reminding me of like, okay, you're going to just figure it out. Like take it one step at a time. Um, but she was a real mentor for that. So thank you for helping me figure out how to launch my own podcast. Um, but yeah, it's my, my, the, the resilient joy podcast. And, um, if you follow my joy fit journey on Instagram, you can also find it in my bio. Um, I feel like those are the only main ways. I mean, you can follow me or friend me on Facebook if you really want to, but I mostly just hang out on Instagram and share I share everything that I share to Instagram. It just goes to Facebook. Like, Hey, we're friends. Lots of great content to consume. For you. I've, I've listened to some of the podcasts, not all yet. So look forward to checking out more of that as well. So, well, thank you so much for stopping hey, well, by thank talk. you. Um, lots of great information. So helpful. I know when you're dealing with something so big like this, there's so many pieces to, you know, kind of cover off on. And it's so helpful to hear kind of how you approached it, not only for you, but with your family as well. So really appreciate that. And um, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back in, you know, in the future with some additional topics, definitely continuing to spread this out so that, you know, I'm just kind of coming in when there's someone really interesting or something great to, to tackle that I think is helpful. So we'll be back with something soon. Until then, talk soon. Thanks again, Danae.